0: Most of you know who that I am, but if you're a guest here, or if you're a visitor, or if we haven't met, uh, I just want to take a moment to introduce myself. Uh, My name is Matt Flora. Um, Just a little background quickly. Um, I grew up in West Melton, Ohio, just a little bit south of here, south and west. Grew up in a Christian home, had great parents. Um, As a young man, uh, walked far from the Lord, was not a Christian. Um, met a young lady named Tina that was a Christian. Through her influence, through her life, i seen the validity of Christianity. i seen seen uh, relationship with Christ. And in the spring of 1990, on a, mission, on a uh, youth trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, I gave my life to Christ, repented of my sins, and um, He's been faithful to, to us ever since. Um, the next year in june of 1991 tina and i was married uh this coming year we'll celebrate 29 years of marriage it's been unbelievable tina's the easiest person in the world to, to uh, live with there's been times of suffering there's been times of sorrow there's been hard times but for the most part um it's been absolutely amazing what god has done um we did uh, not long after we were married we um thought it would be great to have a family, and so we went through a season of uh, struggling with that, four or five years where we struggled with infertility, but um, in, in that time, God was faithful to draw us close to himself, to give us strength, and um, he did hear our prayer and gave us three children in 18 months, which was absolutely amazing. And then uh, in eight years later, uh, he granted our hearts requited, requ- our hearts cry and gave us grant. So um, we did start our church. We started going to church as a young married couple at Christian Life Center in Dayton. Um, Moved up this way because I work for Honda and I went to Sydney Cornerstone, uh, sat under the teaching of Pastor Harry and uh, we have deep roots there and love that congregation. Um, When uh, Jamie and Sarah... uh, We're led by the Lord to come here. We prayed, not really expecting that God would lead us here, but we thought it'd be the right thing to do to pray and ask God what He wanted us to do, and to our surprise, uh, He led us to come here and support this congregation, and um, it's been an absolute blessing getting to know you all and see what God has done. And from that first Easter Sunday, where I think we had 10, to now what we have here, and Um, I think one of the unique things about our church here is, I think we're almost three to one kids to adults. And I've heard the comment that, you know, be careful, don't drink the coffee. Or you could could add to that number. (laughs) But um, that is a blessing. It is a blessing. I I know other Christians that are at churches where there isn't as many young, there isn't as many kids. And so we do have a great blessing to have so many kids here. So with that... um, I would like to start this morning's service by introducing you to sisters. Um, their names were Corey and Betsy. They lived during one of the world's most tumultuous times in the 1940s. Um, I'd like to take you to northern Germany, a little town called uh, Ravenbrook, where just outside the town there was a concentration camp where Corey and Betsy, as sisters, found themselves not for being Jewish, but for harboring Jews and helping them escape from uh, their Nazi persecutors. This Ravensbrook Nazi concentration camp uh, held a lot of political and ethnic prisoners. One of the unique things about this concentration camp was it was all women. It was all women there. Um, the conditions there were, were brutal. Um, One commentary I read was by a woman who lived there, went through that, said, we were starved, we were frozen, we were beaten, we were worked to death. Many were hung, many were shot, many were poisoned, and thousands were gassed. Another unique thing about this concentration camp was there was many uh, medical experiments done there. And uh, I won't go into details, but it was horrific. Horrific. Many of these young ladies were maimed for life. The population was extreme overcrowding. Their beds were lice and flea-infested straw mats. They were daily strip-searched by men. Their food was a sliver of black bread and a small amount of celery soup. Dysentery and pneumonia were common causes of death. Another unique thing about this concentrate... concentration camp that uh, Betsy and Corey went through was twice a day. They had roll call where they would have to stand at attention for hours. The first roll call was at 4.30 a.m. The last one was at 9.30, where they would stand with barely any clothes on in the cold, rain. And some women even froze to death standing there. 60,000 women died in less than six years in this concentration camp. Corey's sister, Betsy, was one of those. To put that in perspective so that we can grasp the horrific amount of people that died in this concentration camp, that would be like every single person in Pickwell, Ohio dying, times three. As I mentioned, Betsy and and Corey's crime was aiding Jews in their hometown. Uh, Betsy and Corey's relationship was very unique and very close. They grew up together, they worked together. Their father had a... uh, watch repair shop that they learned to repair watches and they worked together in this they risked their lives together and now in this concentration camp they suffered together day after day misery suffering and grief but that's not where this story ends you see Corey and mary were beacons of light in this concentration camp Corey and mary were christians I can't even begin to imagine what they went through in this concentration camp. I've read about it. It was absolutely terrible. I have no way to compare what they went through. On cold nights, in their bunks, with hundreds of women packed together, through lice and fleas, through the ache of hunger, through sickness and brutality, came the voices of Betsy and Corey singing, singing hymns of praise, singing songs of hope and faith. One of the songs that they sang, and I'm not going to sing it, but I'll read it to you. One of the, word, one of the songs that they sang was lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark and I'm far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet, dear Lord. I do not ask for distant scene, One step. Enough for me. What kind of people sing in places like this? How can there be joy in the midst of such misery and suffering? How can there be song in a Nazi concentration camp? The answer is the word of God. Let me read to you. This is a direct quote from one of these sisters who survived. Her name, of course, is Corey Tenboom Through this unbearable suffering, the Bible, which by miracle alone passed through the inspection, became the center of our ever widening circle of help and hope, holding to our hearts its warmth and light. The blacker the night, the brighter and more beautiful burned the Word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. These precious words were not mere wishes or peripheral to us, but facts. We knew it. We experienced it. We lived it. Although we were poor, although we were hated, although we were sick, And hungry, we were more than conquerors because Christ loved us. Though day by day our lives at Ravensbrook became bleaker and bleaker, the life we lived with God and His Word became better and better. Truth upon truth, glory upon glory, day by day we grew in our knowledge of the power of Him whose story we lived. With the weakening of our bodies came a strengthening of our faith. There is no pit so deep that God's love and His Word is not deeper steel. The big idea this morning, God will provide comfort. God will provide rest for His suffering people. Will you pray with me? Father, Father, There is nothing within me. I have nothing to offer these people who have come to worship You and have Your Word divided this morning. I have not the strength. I have not the knowledge. I have not the talent or the skill. But You, O God, as we have sang, are strong and powerful. Father, I ask this morning that You would comfort Your people. That You would bring to them a fresh and a new what your rest is all about. In our longing for comfort, in our longing for relief, in our longing for rest, Father, would you lead us home to you? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for stories like Corey Tinboom and Betsy that show the validity and the power within your word. Father, we ask that you would come and tarry this morning. Do what you want done. Speak what you want spoken. And may you be glorified, Lord. May you be pleased and happy with what happens here this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Our passage this morning is found in Isaiah, chapter 40. I believe in your pew Bibles. That's page 599. Um, As Jamie always says, and I think it bears repeating, if you don't have a Bible this morning, allow that Bible in the pew to be your gift. Take it home, it is yours. Before we read this passage, I just wanted to give you just a touch of a background on Isaiah. I know he's very familiar to us, but as a refresher, uh, Isaiah lived in 739 through 686 before Christ. Isaiah was married, he had two sons. Isaiah is famously the one who heard God's call upon his life when God said, who shall I send? And Isaiah optimistically and cheerfully said, Lord, send me. Isaiah lived and ministered through both godly times, godly leadership, and also, also through spiritual decay. Um, he was instrumental in Judah's great revival under King Hezekiah. He witnessed Israel's fall. If you remember, Israel split into two kingdoms, Isaiah's uh, main focus, he lived in Jerusalem and was uh, prophesied there to, to Judah. But he lived through seeing that, there, that Israel fall under the Assyrians. Uh, Isaiah is considered one of the Bible's major prophets. I never did understand that. I don't know how you can say that uh, uh, one of the prophets is major or minor, but Isaiah is considered that. Um, One of the things about Isaiah is he gave a very clear description, 700 years before Christ, of who Christ would be and especially of his suffering. That's in Isaiah 53. And then uh, a fun fact, Grant, fun fact. Uh, Isaiah's name ironically means the Lord is salvation. I find that interesting considering the fact that he was, in Isaiah 53, gave a very clear description of God's plan of salvation. So will you read with me Isaiah 40? We're going to look at the first 11 verses this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she received from the Lord's hand Double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry! And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, But the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Um, If you will allow me, we'll break this down verse by verse um, or maybe a couple verses at a time. Um, Just a, Disclaimer this morning, Um, as I mentioned, the big idea is that uh, God will comfort His people, His suffering people. Um, Suffering is not something that you want to get up and talk about. It's not something that we enjoy. It's not something we raise our hands for. But the fact is, life, and especially as a Christian, we are going to suffer. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Anytime we read a passage in Scripture and the, the words are repeated, it's a little, God's little sign to us saying this is important. But I don't know too many places where a word is repeated back to back. I'm sure that it's there. But in this first verse of our, of our text this morning, God doubles down and says, comfort. Comfort my people. If God is calling for comfort for his people, it goes without saying that they're suffering. If people need comfort, they must be suffering. God's people will suffer. God's people have always suffered. Went through suffering, maybe is a better way to say it. Paul, we're very familiar with Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 11, he says, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, less one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and it goes on and on. Paul suffered. In Hebrews 11, it says, some were tortured, refusing to to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Hebrews 11 goes on, gives more description of God's people suffering. The encouraging thing about this is God will provide rest and he will provide comfort. Um, one of my favorite pastors or apologists is Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if you guys are familiar with his ministry, but if you're not, I recommend it. Um, He's got podcasts, and he tells this story. As a young man, Ravi went to Vietnam during the war in 1971 to minister. He went with some missionaries. As he was there, he met a young man who was an interpreter. His name was Hain Pham. He was a South Vietnamese. He was a Christian, very enthusiastic about the Lord. Ravi and Hein became close friends. They worked together, went through the country together. At the end of his tour, Ravi left and 4 years later, in 1975, Vietnam fell. Ravi never didn't know what happened to his friend, his Christian friend Hein. 17 years passed without a word. One day Ravi gets a phone call. He picks up the phone. And immediately he hears, Brother Ravi, and he recognizes Hines' voice. hine proceeded, proceeded to tell him a, an amazing story that I can't quite do justice. I would recommend you listen to Ravi tell it. It's, a, it's an amazing story, but I will give you uh, the Reader's Digest version. After Vietnam fell, hine was arrested and accused of aiding the Americans. He was put in a prison where the conditions were were not good, he was put under extreme pressure to forsake uh, Jesus Christ, to adhere to communism. After years of this brainwashing, Hein uh, began to buckle under the pressure. He was in solitary confinement. Uh, He decided one day that the very next day he was going to forsake his faith, he was going to stop praying. He was at a point of almost complete hopelessness. The next morning, he got up and was given latrine duty. Latrine duty was where they, very self-explanatory, cleaned the latrines. As he was cleaning the latrines that morning, he noticed a piece of paper, toilet paper. But he, the thing that attracted him to it was it had English writing on it. He hadn't seen English writing in several years, and so he picked it up and put it in his pocket. That night, he cleaned it off to see... He wanted to read English to see what it was. This is what it was. At the top left-hand corner, it said Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or dark, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any power, Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Hein read these words on the day that he was going to forsake and give up and stop praying, God provided the word of God to him in an excrement covered scrap of paper. Hein wept. He prayed. He repented. And he vowed that he would never again forsake Christ. Through an officer's use of the Bible as toilet paper, Hine was able to piece together almost the whole New Testament. Day by day, he volunteered for latrine duty. And he would go through that paper. And by the end of his imprisonment, he had collected almost enough for a whole New Testament. Hine's testimony goes on. It's amazing some of the things that God did Long story short, Hein now lives in America. He's an active Christian and a businessman, an American uh, citizen. The reason why I'm telling you that is because suffering is part of a Christian's DNA. God will provide comfort and rest, I assure you. And not so much I assure you, but God's Word assures you. Usually this comfort, not always, but usually this comfort in times of trial, in times of suffering, will come through God's Word. If you show me a godly man... I will show you a man who has suffered, who has been through trials. If you show me a Christian who has suffered, I will show you a Christian who knows the Bible. Jeremiah, Job, Naomi, Hosea, the disciples, the list goes on and on. The writer of our passage today, Isaiah, legend has it that he was sawn in two. Suffering is part of a Christian's DNA. And our supreme example is Christ. The one, as Christians, we are called to emulate suffered greatly. Luke 22 says, And being in agony, he, being Christ, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Isaiah 53 says, He, Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed as i mentioned nobody likes to suffer nobody's going to raise their hand and say i want to go through a trial i want to go through as tina and i did five years of infertility it was rough we prayed we cried it was hard why does god allow this what is the answer Well, I don't have all the answers of why God allows us to suffer, but let me offer you a few. Suffering strengthens our faith. When when Tina and I look back on some of the hardest times in our life, whether it was when Tina's mom passed away or whether it was the four or five years of trying to have a family and month after month it not happening, we look back on those times and not only is our faith was our faith grown in those times, but our trust in God is so much greater now because He was so faithful in those times. Suffering strengthens our faith. Suffering draws us to God. In our times when the wind and the rain and health isn't there, who do we go to? We cling to God as Christians. Suffering aids in our ability to comfort others. You know, I hate to keep bringing this up, but When others are struggling with the loss of a loved one, Tina and I can relate. And I think that's part of the reason why we go through suffering and trials is so that we can reach out with others. When we're going through something and somebody comes to us and they've been through what we're going through, there's a comfort there. There's a strength there that we know they've been through it. Suffering also nurtures our longing for rest. I think Jamie mentioned it last week. This strife that we feel here, it's normal because this isn't the way that things were supposed to be. When we feel discontent, when we feel this longing, it is a longing for rest. It's a normal longing for heaven and to be in right relationship with God. Suffering waters our longing for home. If we are called to comfort, to comfort God's people, as Isaiah admonishes us here, what does that look like? How can we comfort somebody? We we have a heart to comfort. What does that look like? Well, we can listen. When somebody's going through something, one of the best things to do is just to sit down with them and listen. We don't have to have all the answers, but if we're there and we listen, there's comfort in that. Be there for them. And trust me, I'm preaching to myself as I put these notes down. I realized how far short I fall of this. So I'm, I'm saying this to myself as well. To be there. When people are suffering, carve out the time in our schedules to be there. To just have a cup of coffee. To listen. To pray with them. That's another way we can offer comfort. I'm telling you that when someone, that brings more comfort to me than almost anything is Brent comes to me. He knows I'm going through something. He says, Matt, I'm praying for you. I would take that over anything to know that my brother or my sister is praying for me. We need to be a, a body that is praying, being able to be cognizant of the suffering that is going on, the trials that we're going through and pray for each other. Pray with that individual. I get extremely nervous and I so appreciate your grace in allowing me to get up and bear the unbelievable load of of, of of proclaiming God's word. And I appreciate your grace in allowing me to do this and overlooking my nervousness and my deficiencies. And Jamie knows how I am about preaching and about sharing God's word. And this morning he prayed for me. Steve, come back. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming back and praying for me. You know, some people can come up and speak, and it's very comfortable. That's not me. It's, it's, it's difficult. But Steve and Jamie, and I know others were praying for me, there's a great comfort in that. And I would encourage you to do the same. Praying with and for people is a great way to offer God's comfort, to be the hands and feet of Christ to others. As many of you know that... Um, we love Bakken's. Uh, we talk about it. I'm sure some of you guys get tired of hearing about it. But one of the reasons why we like Bakken's is in a di- very difficult time. Tina's mom passed suddenly. It was a terrible time. Um, we got back from the viewing. Hearts were broken. And uh, there on our porch, it was night. It was dark. I remember the lights going across the front porch. And I seen all this stuff on the porch. And I was like, what, what, is, what is on our porch? Well, the people at Bakken's had got together and on our porch was all these gifts that they had brought, gifts of comfort, blankets, wind chimes. They had brought food in and put it on the table. They didn't have to do that. We weren't. Tina and I are not from there, but they did that. And it was, it was a great comfort. That's part of the reason why we love Bakken's as we do. So listening, being there, praying with people and for them in their times of trial, and their times of, of suffering, um are all good things, but they're not the best things. Above these things of offering comfort, which are all good, there is this. Will you look look with me at verses 3, 4, and 5? A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Then The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The greatest comfort that we can offer people or loved ones that are going through suffering or trial is to share the gospel with them. Being there for someone, listening, even praying for someone are all great but they're second best. What we all need to hear, whether we've been a Christian for 20 years or whether we've been a Christian for a month or for 50 years, we need to hear the gospel. I know that may sound weird because you know, if you're a Christian, you've heard the gospel, you've gave your life to Christ, but we need to continue to hear the gospel. That is the number one way we can bring comfort to someone who is going through trial and struggle. Through God's grace, through the message of the gospel, Did you hear what it said in the text? Through the gospel, through the coming of Christ that Isaiah was talking about, man's warfare has ended. The water, the waterless desolate desert will be a highway. The valleys will be raised. The mountains cleared away. The uneven ground smoothed. The rough places, the rough places transformed into peaceful plains. And most of all, our iniquities pardoned this life is tough there is suffering there will be loss but hearing the but hear the comforting words of our savior in john 16:33 jesus said i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world we will have tribulation jesus says you will have tribulation but take heart i have overcome the world Jesus also said in John 14, verses 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. In Revelation 21, 4, we're very familiar with this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This was Isaiah's message from God. This is what Isaiah was saying, and he said it 2,700 years ago. And it's still our message today. That message has not changed. Jesus has come. And through him, comfort and rest are available. Let's look at verses 6, 7, and 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Okay, this is the interactive part of the sermon, so I'm going to ask you to interact with me. I want you to raise your hand if you remember home phones. Raise your hand if you remember home phones. Okay, keep your hand up until you don't remember this. Connor, you remember home phones? (laughs) All right. I'm just asking. Okay. Do you remember getting movies from Blockbuster? Okay. Do you remember when there was no internet? All right. Do you remember, Wellman, when mustaches were cool? (laughs) Do you remember when microwaves first came out? All right. (laughs) Do you you remember when soda came in 16-ounce bottles? Uh And when you returned that bottle, you got a dime. dime. (laughs) Keep your hand up. Do you remember music on eight tracks? Okay, all right. Do you remember when all NFL games were on Sunday? (laughs) Okay. Do you remember when the World Series... Was always played during the daytime. All right. You guys can put your hands down. Thank you. What is my point? What is the point of this passage? <laughs> the point I'm trying to make by this is the world is constantly changing. From one generation, we went from rotary phones with party lines to cell phones and social media. In one generation, we went from mullets and mustaches. To fades and beards. We went from atlases. Who remembers atlases when you went somewhere? Oh, yeah, looking at the map, that was good times. We went from atlases and Rand McNally to GPS and Google Earth. We went from Encyclopedia Britannica to mind boggling information on the internet where you can search anything. Mankind is constantly changing. If you don't like the style today, wait till tomorrow. It'll change. The older I get, the less it seems that things stay the same. In this fast-changing world, God's Word stands as a beacon of stability. This is what Isaiah is saying to us. Man is fickle. Beauty, like a flower's, will fade. The grass will wither, but at the end... It says, the word of God will stand forever. God's word is trustworthy. It has, it has not and will not change. There's a comfort in that. Where mankind vacillates and fades, God's word is a rock of consistency. If you're going to trust in something, if you're going to place your, the foundation of your life on something, if you're going to trust Don't let it be Fox News. Don't let it be the Wall Street Journal. Let it be the very Word of God. Man has tried over the years to disprove the authenticity of God's Word. Two examples are atheists Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel. Both set out to disprove God's Word and to show that it was in error and wrong. Today, they're Christians, followers of Christ. Did you know that there are over 14,000 manuscripts of the New Testament? Manuscripts being a copy of the original. We've all heard of Plato, right? Plato. Plato lived in 429 BC. Nobody's going to doubt whether the writings or the things that we read about Plato are true. You know how many manuscripts we have of Plato's writings? Copies of Plato's writings? Seven. Seven. When's the last time you've heard somebody say, well, that Plato never was never here. His writings, they're invalid. We have 14,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Some of these manuscripts, some of these copies are within 30 years of the original writings. If you were to take these manuscripts and hold them in your hand and read them, they would read exactly as the Bible that is sitting in your lap. In 1946, 1946, a teenage shepherd was minding, a teenage shepherd was minding his sheep in what is now known as the West Bank in Palestine. This shepherd, young man, as young men are wont to do, threw a rock into the entrance of a cave on the side of a hill. To his surprise, he heard breaking glass. But it wasn't breaking glass. Upon further investigation. When he went into this cave to see what had made that noise, he found broken pottery. Inside this clay pot, he found what appeared to be scrolls. Thus, with this innocent chucking of a rock, was started the greatest archaeological find in modern history. For the next 11 years, this cave and the other caves around it would reveal 900 manuscripts from the Old Testament dated amazingly to 150 B.C. Manuscripts from every single book in the Old Testament were found here. Every single book in the Old Testament with the exception of Esther. One of these scrolls was a complete copy of the book we're studying this morning. Isaiah, complete copy. After much careful study by the leading Old Testament scholars of the time, it was revealed that this scroll, which was 2,100 years old, is word for word with the Bible you have in your lap. Our, word, our world is constantly changing. Man grows old, passes away, passes from one life to the next, only to be followed by another generation. Through all of this, through the decades, the years, the centuries pass. God's word stands. It is unchanging Jesus himself said this is the way that it would be. In Matthew 5, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The word of God has never wavered, never shrunk or grew old. It has not gone out of style or been proven wrong despite man's best efforts to the contrary. God's word has never failed. It did not fail Betsy or Cory Tinboom. It did not fail Hein in that prison it did not fail in a Nazi concentration camp and let me tell you today Michael, Maddox, Noah and all of you God's word will not fail you God's word Grant it will not fail you I think the if you open a Gideon's Bible on the inside flap might say it best This is what it says on the inside of a Gideon's Bible. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true and its principles are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. God's word is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the soldier's sword and the Christian's charter. Within these pages, paradise is restored. Heaven opened and hell disclosed. The word of God is worthy of placing the foundation of our life upon it. Israel, excuse me, Isaiah wrote these words that we're looking at this morning 2,700 years ago. The fact that we sit here this morning and are studying it and reading it are evidence that these words are true. God's word is trustworthy. What does God's word tell us? God's word tells us of our condition. If we have lied, even once, if we, have ever, if we have ever taken something that doesn't belong to us, that's called stealing. If we've ever lusted, if we've ever put anything, anything, even once, above God, that's called idolatry. This is sin. This is the definition of sin. Sin is a high crime against the highest authority, God himself, By our willful acts against an infinitely just God, we are rightly condemned to eternal damnation. This is what the Word of God reveals. It doesn't cut corners. It tells us exactly where we stand. The Word of God tells us our condition. But the Word doesn't stop there. God tells us in His Word of His great love for us, It says that God looked upon our condition. And while we were in the midst of our sin, He sent His Son to suffer, to bleed, and to die. Why? To pay the penalty for our sins. God tells us of new life, that on the third day, Jesus walked out of that grave in victory. Victory over death. Victory over sin. Victory over darkness. Victory over sickness. He did this so that we might have an opportunity at pardon, so that we would have an opportunity to trust and believe and place our life in our hands, our lives in His hands. God's Word tells us the way to Him, the way to rest. That by placing your trust, by placing your life in the hands of Jesus and asking Him to forgive you of your high crimes and my high crimes. God is faithful to forgive us. And He will restore a right relationship with Him, with God Almighty. At this point in my sermon preparation, this came to my mind and I hesitated about sharing it. I've shared it here before. And I prayed about it and I think it's, I think it's appropriate to share it again. This is a journal entry. I, I know... Several of you have heard this before. I know I've read it from this pulpit. This uh, journal entry in my journal I put in in 2006, and I think it's appropriate for what we're looking at as we long for rest and we look at suffering and trials that we go through in this life. Um, A little background I was very close to my grandma. Um, I could go on and on. She was an amazing Christian woman. One of the at one point in my life, she was probably the only her and my grandpa were the only people that believed in me. Everybody had pretty much given up, and they were right to do so. But my grandma always believed in me and um, prayed for me, and she passed away. And I put this journal entry. It was probably three or four months after she had passed away. I'll read it to you. Have you ever woke up from a good night's sleep with a dream at the edge of your mind? It's right there tickling your memory, but you can't quite recall the details. That's where I was this morning as I approached God in prayer. I don't remember exactly what subject I was talking to God about when my hazy memory was vividly refreshed. There before me, clear in my mind's eye, was my grandma. Her appearance was exactly as I remembered, curly hair, curly silver hair cut short and fixed just right. Eyes that held such warmth over a radiant smile. Grandma was wearing a spotless white gown that extended to her feet. She stood beside a shallow, glassy stream, and there were others around her. I barely noticed these surroundings because of Grandma's joyful smile and the peace that seemed to flow from her. Without a word, she gave me a hug that was no different than the multitude of hugs that she had given me as a boy growing up. Grandma then held me at arm's length for a moment longer and was gone. What a wonderful experience as I drove to work that morning, still reflecting on this amazing vision given by God. The meeting started to come together. Grandma was at this very moment enjoying the reward of her faith in Jesus Christ. She was not locked in an earthen tomb six feet below the earth's surface, but instead clothed in an environment of warmth, joy, and light. The hug that she had given was for a grandson that had loved her very much and who now missed her godly wisdom and unconditional love. But the real crux of this vision was Grandma's smile. I had seen Grandma's quick smile hundreds of times and on many occasions, but not like this one. This smile had been complete. It seemed to come from her very soul. It was a smile that no longer hid a heart broken by the loss of of her soulmate. It was a smile that no longer carried the telltale fingerprints of age and worry. It was a smile of freedom. Freedom from past pain and regret. Freedom from the burden of loneliness. Freedom from self-guilt at mistakes made in the early years of her life. It was a smile that was born on the face of one who was in the very presence of God. It was a smile that said, press on. Run the race before you. Keep the faith. Don't give up, for it is all worth it a hundred times over. It was a smile of encouragement, a smile of knowing It was a smile that was finally complete. It is my hope that if you're here this morning, that if you're in the middle of suffering, if you're tired, if you're weary, that my grandma's smile will help you to turn your eyes back to the prize. That prize is the Word of God, and that Word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. That you will continue to carry your cross. And serve our Savior with excellence, with passion, that he so richly has earned and deserves. Jesus set the example. He will supply our strength to complete the race, just as he did for my grandma. Her smile told me that someday soon, it will be worth it. God has and will, brothers and sisters, provided comfort in the Middle of suffering and trials. And He will continue. Will you pray with me? Father, as always, we stand before You in great debt. You have comforted us. You have promised us a place of rest. And You have did all this through the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, this morning, if there is one among us who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, would you speak to them this morning? Would you bring them to repentance? Would you give them the faith to believe? Father, for those of us who have repented who have cried out to you, who have placed our trust in you. Lord, I know there are those among us who are suffering, those of us who are longing for rest. Would you remind us afresh and anew, through your word, through other brothers and sisters in Christ, of the comfort that we have available to us through you. Please, Lord. Forgive us for where we have tried to find rest in other avenues. Forgive us, Father, where we have tried to find comfort in other avenues that are so shallow. Forgive us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Bring us back. Bring us to you, Lord God. Help us to have a clarity of of mind in the great comfort and rest we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for being such a good, good father. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promises, God. Thank you for the stability of your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Call us. Call us to rest, Lord. Call us to our rest. Help us to remember that we are but pilgrims passing through. That in this life, we will have trial. We will have tribulation, but you have overcome the world. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point in our service, we have what is called an assurance of pardon. This morning it is my privilege, and it is a privilege, to tell you that if you have placed your, your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have called out to him to forgive you of your sins, that God has been faithful and just to forgive you. Our assurance comes in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved.